Thought-provoking? No question. Informative? You bet. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. Left Brain Center this morning features two gentlemen who have both been guests on the program many times. Robert Metz, of course, uh, a regular feature on the program. Nice to see you again. And Gil Warren, who joins us infrequently, but it's always nice to have him here. Nice to see you again, Gil. Good morning, Jim. Now, you came from a rather uh, unusual event this morning to come from there to here. What were you doing? I was down at the Hilton Hotel in downtown London, and uh, there was the opening of the... Uh, union of tax employees they're having a convention here in London federal government workers who collect your taxes and so they had asked me as president of Labor Council to come down and uh, and uh, give greetings from the labor movement and uh, from the city so I was delighted to do that and I thought it very strange that I would then come up here and be debating with you guys about why we don't need taxes well, wait a minute now. I've never said we don't need taxes. Never heard anyone say that. I have no problem but with this. This is a great, great event. Union of tax employees. Can you imagine if they go on strike? It's Tax Freedom Day. <laughs> this is one unionization that I fully support. They were. And I hope they walk out the first year. They weren't talking about that. But well, the, the baseball players threatening to go on strike. I totally support them as well, 100. percent Going on strike? The baseball guys? Yeah. Yeah. They, if they go. I, I'm not a baseball fan, so mm -hmm. if they go on strike, then, uh, I don't get too excited. Okay. I want to ask you guys this morning about Alan Greenspan yesterday. Talked about infectious greed. That's his new slogan. Infectious greed um, to explain the the rash of uh, what seem to be rash decisions by senior corporate executives in the United States. And I think it's important that we make a note here before we go any farther that the the in spite of the size of some of these these uh, these scandals, Enron and so on. In spite of their size, they statistically they are but a tiny fraction of the of the business community, a very very tiny fraction. So let's keep that in mind. But Mr. Greenspan is talking uh, very seriously about uh, uh, promoting uh, more intense, more rigorous um, uh, control of of business, particularly at the higher levels, uh, more government control. Exactly how he's going to do that, he hasn't said. Uh, how you separate the greedy from the merely uh, um, um, incredibly vigorous, I'm not sure how you do that either. But I'd like to ask you guys this morning about about structuring... Can, gov can we trust government, I guess is my real question. Can we trust government to be any better or any more dependable than than private industry in terms of running their businesses? And, and, I, and I say that, I want to predicate that a little bit too, that uh, by saying that in the United States, a uh, uh, Republican government, but it could be a Democratic government, or dem a Democrat government, here in, in Canada, it's a liberal government now, but it could be a Tory government, it could be an alliance, you know, it, it's not so much the ideology, it's sort of the, in my mind, it's just the general, governments as a rule, are, can we look to them to be any better or any less... Uh, um, uh, of a bunch of screw-ups than, than, than what we've seen in some of these private operations. And, Gil, I'd start with you. Okay, Jim. Well, I'm delighted that you came up with this topic. We don't uh, decide them ahead of time. And actually, I was going to suggest this as a topic because it's a very, very interesting subject. And I think that, um, uh, I, you know, I very, very rarely agree with Greenspan, but I think he's right on here. We did go through a period of infectious greed, and it was in the late 90s. It was the high-tech uh, uh, stock bubble that we saw happen. And uh, what we saw was was just incredible greed going on within, uh, as you say, some corporations. But I think it was it was not an isolated incident. It was a culture of greed that was developing, and I don't think it involves every corporation. But there was a game going on of trying 
uh, they'd have a good year, um, a company would make a profit of 25% or 50%, and then the CEO would be expected to reproduce that the next year. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, and investors were investing on that basis. And it just can't be done. Th those were unsustainable profit levels. And what happened, and the, the reason for the Enron scandal and, and the others, was that uh, these uh, CEOs were under tremendous pressure to produce fantastic, unbelievable profits. And so the result of that was that they started to become corrupt, and, and they lied, and uh, they covered up things, and uh, they tried to make it look like their profits were better than, than they could be. I think there's a great parallel to the 1920s and the Roaring Twenties and, and uh, what happened in the stock market at that time, where there were corruption uh, got into the system and, and uh, the flim-flam people you know, taking the life savings of senior citizens. And it's a, it's a struggle here in terms of the consumer and also the, the small-time investor versus the CEO who has the power and, and, and the control over things. And as a result of that, in the 1930s, the investors went on strike. Nobody would, nobody would invest in anything in the 30s. The economy died. Uh, there was no new investment. Uh, there had been overinvestment in the 20s and then nothing in the 30s. And it wasn't until we got government spending going during the war that the economy actually revived. And as, at the same time, out of the experience of the 20s and 30s, in the 50s and 60s, government regulation were, was brought in to, to, to control the stock market and control the process and, and to try to have it, have it transparent and honest. And, and those procedures worked in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. But then in the 80s, the fad came along that, oh, you don't, everything is free, quote-unquote, when it's not, and you don't need government regulation, and you don't need controls, and, and we, can, we can forget about all those things we did in the 30s and 40s. And what I see now is that we're going back to that. And, and to answer your question about can we trust the government, there are problems with government, but at least they're an independent monitor of, of the situation. And, and I think that they can make it better than it was uh, a couple of years ago with this sort of cowboy capitalism that was going on. And, and it's just not sustainable. Bob? Um, to the question, can we trust the government? Yes, if the government remains a referee and not a player in the game. And too often the government wants to be a player in the game or is influenced by players in the game. Mm -hmm. And to that extent, we can't trust government. When you have the government regulating plumbers, you can be sure that plumbers are going to get together to make sure they're regulating the government. When you have the government getting together to regulate accountants or economists, you can be sure those groups will make sure that they're in charge of that regulation because, after all, they're the only ones that are the experts in their field. They're the only ones that understand it. So the government is forced by default to go back to the people it's regulating for their advice on how to be regulated, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so, and we have seen that a lot, right? Yeah. And that's the only way it can work. But it's interesting. Alan Greenspan was using this term "infectious greed." You know, uh, I know that after this show, you're going to be interviewing someone from the Ayn Rand Institute. Yes. I understand. Mm -hmm. Well, Alan Greenspan, I don't know if many people know this, was intimately involved with Ayn Rand mm -hmm. in her early years. In her book "Capitalism: The Unknown Ideal," written in the '60s, he has two or three essays in there written by him talking about antitrust and issues of that nature. So here he is associated with a movement that has preached, quote, the virtue of selfishness, which was actually one of Ayn Rand's titles of one of her books, uh, talking about infectious greed, you know, as though all of a sudden he sounds like he's changed his point of view. But, you know, I see greed as selfishness coming at the expense of someone else, often without their consent or having it forced on them. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, 
broadly speaking, the left has equated greed with rational selfishness, rational self-interest, people wanting to better themselves, to make a profit, to earn their money by selling a profit honestly on a market. What's involved here is, and this is where the selfishness comes in, is when you're dealing with fraud and misrepresentation. Those are two of the key key issues of capitalism that are capitalistic protections. You, you, do not, you do not tolerate fraud or misrepresentation. Those are very serious crimes. They're, they're almost equal to theft. And that's how we should be regarding them. So it's not an issue of what motivates a person. You might as well get into the issue of hate crimes with that, you know, like why, why did someone do this? The fact is they did something wrong. They told me that I was going to get X and I didn't get X and there was no way and they knew it at the time, you know. So that to me is what the issue is. It's so not greed but dishonesty. Um, fraud, misrepresentation. So is the answer then to, and I put this to either one of you guys, uh, if, uh, and I could, because I think you're both sort of, to a certain extent, agreed on, on, on uh, maybe I'm misreading your, but I think there's, this, there's a sensibility that you're both sort of heading in the same direction. Uh, would it be safe to say then that what we need more than some new regulation book is perhaps more resources to pursue the avenues that are already there? Absolutely. I've always found that in policing of late, um, you know, we can't have police that always just rely on brute force in the streets anymore. We have to have very educated um, people who know how to get online, who know how to work computers, who understand debits and credits and accounting and how it works and misrepresentation. And that's not generally what the average law enforcement officer is trained to do. Again, they have to go outside to the very professions mm -hmm. that they're regulating to get help. Mm -hmm. So, but, but this is not news. I mean, no, I'm not saying it is. It, if you're going to do anything, if you're going to wire your house, you need an electrician to give you advice unless you're an electrician. But, uh, but I think the suggestion that you had, Jim, where it was sort of, well, the there needs to be more resources for self-regulation, and, and well, not necessarily self-regulation. I would say even even the criminal enforcement of the of the. Oh, uh, I agree. I agree. Statutes. You know, and and I, I, like, as a working class person, as president of Labor Council, I I always think there's a double standard between what happens to a, a working class person who who steals a part out of the factory in his mm -hmm. lunchbox and they, they throw the book at him yeah. versus the corporate criminal who always seems to well it's his first offense and he's an important person in the community and so let's give the guy a break and he just had a sudden fit of mental instability or something you know and 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 even president bush uh, uh, has saying things like someone has to go to jail here and i and i totally agree with that mm -hmm. there is some problems that maybe some of bush's own people should go to jail <laughs> but that's another matter but uh, but i think that what what we have to see here is that there needs to be an independent regulator in the form of the government to keep an eye on things in the business community and in terms of this question of greed i mean i think you know how far does greed go before it becomes criminal activity i mean when you become a dishonest and you rep misrepresent, use force and as or I, fraud. And as I suggested before, in, in the late 90s, we had this culture out there that, that started to, to bend reality. And, and, mm -hmm. and, bend, and, and, and people like the Vice President Cheney, I, I saw the little blurb he did for Enron, where he's sitting there saying, well, Anderson Accounting not only gave us good accounting advice, but they told us how to bend the rules. You know, and that is the sort of culture that got going, you know. Mm -hmm. And and the thing about greed is you have to know when to stop. You have to know when you're when you're going over the edge into criminal activity and when you're mis deliberately misleading the little investor who throws all who unwisely throws all their money into one you're stock using and that term bend the rules though it's a little misleading. When people do that legally, they're doing it legally. The rules are there to be bent, so to speak. Rule you know, they they put in tax regulations or other regulations to try and force you one way or the other in terms of your behavior. And so when there is a, quote, loophole or whatever, it's not often a loophole. It's there on purpose for a reason. Um, 
so you know to call legal things. Uh, well, I think it's a question you know, of bending of, the rules of honor. I think uh, it, if people are in in business or if they're union leaders or if they're community leaders, there's a question of honesty and honor. And if there's some little loophole there that you can take advantage of, what I would suggest is people not take advantage of it because they, they they're able to do it because they have a very expensive accountant or a very good lawyer or something like that. They've got the financial resources as a big player to bend the rules and 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 it leads ultimately to this sort of uh, corruption of the system and i don't think you know like i don't blame the investors nowadays for not being willing to put money into anything like mm -hmm. because and it's it's a number of companies that this has happened in not just one person and so now you sit you're sitting there as an investor going well where can i trust any of these guys Is, are any of the numbers correct and i think that's that's a, that's a great danger and in in terms of the greed thing you know like what what i suggest as as a left-wing person is is a spirit of cooperation in our in our world rather than a spirit of competition, and and it's a matter of balancing out those two things. But, but you can cooperate and compete at the same time. You can, but I'm I, what I'm suggesting is sort of a continuum, and that that we need to. When move, you say cooperation, though, you mean that the state has to run everything. No, I don't. No, I don't. Like no, I mean like co-ops, like cooperatives. Well, we had non discussion before and non-profit businesses, and I think that there's that 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 business, quote unquote, is just a way to provide things and services and the question is the politics of business the political economy of it but in most of the question the question is people in the labor movement work for nonprofit organizations no there's a uh, my labor hmm, council that's interesting my labor council has private sector people public sector people and 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 nonprofit sector but they're all there to make some money aren't they they're all there for a salary for wages to make money they're, they're what, what labor calls a wage is economically their profit now, you're saying people shouldn't work for profit. They should cooperate. They shouldn't be in competition. I think labor should be in competition, and you represent now, here a you, labor yeah, monopoly here you go with where right, everyone has to cooperate right according to labor standards here set you go by some arbitrary third body. Oh, no, no, we're going to let these guys fight it out for a second here about uh, labor and left and right, and we'll be right back with more on left, right, and center. Joe Warren and Bob Metz with us on Left, Right, and Center today. We're talking about business, about uh, infectious greed, as Alan Greenspan said. I want to change the focus a little bit, guys, from the workers a little higher up the corporate ladder. Uh, there is a lot of talk and a lot of controversy about executive compensation in uh, in our culture, that uh, that a lot of executives are, are way overpaid. One of the theories behind that is that you have to pay people big money to take chances. Now, this is kind of sounds like a wacko theory, but a guy who's a a very senior executive explained this to me one day and said the theory behind it is that you need people especially in large corporations to get out there and take chances but they have to be they have to be smart chances but they have to be big chances and if they if they don't make it they're going to be gone so you, you're faced with a choice then in order to in the long term drive your company successful successfully and build and, and grow your companies your guys have to be ready to take a risk people are risk averse if they know that if this thing blows up I'm out on the street even though I'm out on the street with a you know I'm still got a few bucks in the bank so the theory he said that's developed over the last little while is you pay these guys so much money that it removes that element of fear that might be there and it drives them to go out and take the risks and they do lose sometimes they win sometimes they lose when they lose they go home in their roles as Royce and and they're happy and the next guy comes on and does the job now, I don't know if that if that's really what happens but that was his explanation as to why the executive salaries have climbed so far out of sight well, I don't accept that. Um, I, I agree that the CEO's pay is and other executives is 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 outrageous. 
And, and I think that the gap that's growing between the rich and poor is not acceptable. I think you have to look at North America and separate it out from, say, Europe, and, and look at the, the level of pay that a European CEO gets versus a North American one. They're, they're running the same size corporation, they're doing the same sort of job, and, and the Europeans are paid a lot less. And, and so what I see here is a situation where the CEOs are using their power in North America to extract money from the, the the consumer and from the stockholder and and to get more than they deserve. But how do they do that? If they're not any smarter than the guys in Europe, and I'll grant you that the that the the the, uh, the average average salaries are a lot higher at the top echelons in North America. If they're not any smarter than the guys in Europe, um, their their stockholders probably aren't any dumber than the ones in Europe. How are they getting away with doing this? Well, I think maybe the stockholders in in North America are not are putting too much faith in the in the the CEO who goes out there and proposes the five billion dollar purchase of this company or that. And we saw that a lot of that a couple of years ago. I mean, companies, the the hotshot CEOs, uh, on using this theory about you got to go out there and and take a smart big chance, went out and and took a took a dumb big chance. And and many of them have purchased companies that were, are nowhere near the value of what they paid for them. They, yeah, but that's all, they got a bad that's deal. Happened, they that's got a always bad, happened. No, but we're, we're seeing in our economy this de- the development of, of fewer and fewer companies, only more and more things, and when you make a mistake, it gets bigger and bigger because the, it's a $5 billion takeover instead of a $5 million one. And I've also seen, no, I, I've I, also seen corporate, corp, c- CEOs, in an effort to make astronomical short-term profits, run a company into the ground because they're no, they know they're not going to be around 10 or 20 mm-hmm. years. Well, it's just like politicians. That's right. They run a country into the ground because they know they're not going to be around in 10 or 20 and, years. And, and you got to look like, you know, people, like this, the difference between old money and new money. Uh, the old money people always understood the, sort of the concept that they were, in a sense, trustees of the money and that they had to look at the long term and they weren't so pressured about short-term profits, right? And they could, could run a company for 10 or 20 or 30 years and, and be involved in the community. Now these people are running companies, they'll close a plant down and they've never been there. You know, they don't but even we have ha- com- know we the We have impact. economies now that last six months. Some technology doesn't last more than 18 months. So an econ- a company comes along, makes a lot of money and is out of business because what it was selling is obsolete. We are in a faster moving economy today. But whether an executive gets paid too much or too little is a matter of, you, you can't use a broad brush. It depends who he is, why he's being paid that, and whether he's worth what he's being paid. I mean, if he's the executive of Ontario Hydro, I would say, yeah, they're all overpaid, absolutely, because they're, they're not earning their money. Yeah, there goes your ideology again, there's, there's, right. Well, what's, what's the, what ideology? I'm talking facts. Ideology is irrelevant. I know that they're being paid through taxpayer dollars. And, through and their performance hasn't been and particularly their performance sterling. is lousy, mm, and they've yeah. got a debt as big as, as some nation. And, who, we, and look what we're rewarding them for. You, you, you just talked about executives running businesses into the ground for their, own, for their own good, and now you're defending them. Who picked those CEOs as the current Tory government? Right. And then who they picked them? them? The voters. Uh, yeah. now, and, and, and sometimes there's, a, there's hidden agendas. Like well, you take a crown like corporation, those people you put in bad managers, yeah. and then you privatize it. But those people were in there during Bob Ray's government, too, and he didn't fire them. Elaine Clitheroe worked for the company when Bob Ray was the premier, but there were in other, pe- seri- in other in people s- who were who were running and who were position. disposed of when when yeah. Harris took over. Okay, so no. th- let's let's look at the let's get away from the sort of the quasi public sector there and look at the corporations where the guys are taking home twenty five, fifty, a hundred million dollars in some cases, and there's they're not that many, but there's mm-hmm. enough of them uh, making big money. Uh, Bob, you're saying, if, if I understand you correctly, you're saying if their corporations are generating 
profits yeah. large enough are to... Are we talking to, to about do... Bill Gates here? I think he earns every cent he's got. He mm. owns most of his company. Yeah. How can anybody be worth a million dollars a minute? How can they be making that much important decision-making? Because decision -making the in public pays him that. That's how. Nobody's forcing us no, to no, buy no. his But computer. just in terms of, like, I, I come from a factory background where people relate Kill. to $10 Kill. an hour or $20 yeah. an hour. Yeah. How can anybody well, be worth a million dollars an hour? Well, if you get you can't smart be doing that you... much work. What's he work can't got be. to do with it? It's not what, work. What's work got to do with it? That's what he's supposed to be doing. Oh, he's man, supposed to be oh, working there. there. That's a he's revelation. Be, wow. He's supposed is to be hard at work protecting no, I, I would disagree with you. I would say that the idea oh, is to make money with as little nothing. work as possible. But he's not doing nothing. He's using his mind. He's marketing. He's, he understands what makes computers work. He used to start on them in his garage when he quit yeah, school and didn't even have any money to speak of in, in the senses that we're talking about today. This is the new money you're talking about. And this is a guy that I think, you know, he owns the company, he runs it, it's his property. If we buy his product, that's up to us. And look We're at the ones okay. that make him rich. And the reason we make him rich is because he makes us rich. Yeah, no, we I can afford computers. Okay, good. I want to I ask you a right. question. I want to ask right. you a question here. Uh, about, let's take Bill Gates, for an right. example. If right. we, and, and Bob makes the point that, that Bill started in the garage. Okay, mm, had Good not, for him. His, no, no, but his idea, working guy, doing yeah. his own thing, mm -hmm. business starts to grow. Fine. Go, no problem go. with any All of right. that until he gets to be top dog and he turns it into a monopoly. No, 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 but my, qu my question would monopoly. be, at what point along the way then do you think we sh someone should have stepped in and said, well, Bill, you've made enough money? There were attempts by the American government under Clinton to break up Microsoft mm -hmm. because it had become too big a corporation right, under the antitrust under the weak, wimpy American antitrust which was laws. The most anti-American thing I ever saw happen and, and, down there. In and years. it is not fair today that Bill Gates is the richest guy in the world and that he has a monopoly on computer programming. But he doesn't have he doesn't. a monopoly. Oh yeah, he, he, have you not seen all the new mind. ads for Apple on TV lately? Apple's pushing their new program. Wait a who owns Apple? Bill Gates. Yeah, because they would have gone under. But he, yeah, bought them. He bought them. Yeah, but, a he's not, but he's not pricing. They're not pricing each other out of business. They're, <laughs> they're competitive pricing. The, he what's owns it matter? that company. The, besides, what's the matter? So do you really need another computer that's really a lot cheaper in some way and you can't get it where you want it? Because everybody else who's, who's a smaller company is going to charge you a lot more. I, I think that what we've got here is a fundamental Corporation is the greatest thing for poor people and the disadvantage. Because oh, if crap. it weren't for the Loblaws and the big corporations that bring us our food and the big corporations that, that can make a computer it's affordable working to, people to over 50% of Canadians. It's working people that do the work. You guys okay. have nothing it, it's with the all your paid money. It's the 300,000 people out there in London who go to work every day at their crummy little boring jobs that keep this community going. Why are and there crummy little boring jobs? You must hate your life, Gil. I don't know. You have a crummy little boring job? Most people, most people, little boring most people are not <laughs> corporate executives. They do not get to sit around in an office and make corporate deals. They have to collect the garbage and they have to make the auto parts, and, and their lives are not this exciting, high-class world of the high-tech business community. What exciting high-class? Do you know any of these people? Business people? The, the, these I don't know any exciting, high-class business people. Sure. These, these guys work themselves uh, into an early grade, most Bill of them. Gates, I but said, I, this guy doesn't have a life. Mm -hmm. Oh, he has he a very nice mansion, but... Well, uh, but he has his own family. But, uh, well, I think it's a cultural and sort of spiritual thing, almost, that, that our society has become a hyper-capitalist society. Mm -hmm. I think that, that things are moving too fast. People always as were you, capitalists. Uh, it's, as it's in our nature to be capitalists. No, people have cooperated as well. In our nature is both uh, ability to cooperate and ability to compete. But what the point I'm making is that, but that you want our society... You don't you like say, the one. You just said... You oh, you know, part a, new, of our nature. a new technology is out of... Out of 
fashion in six months. It's obsolete. And I think this is a problem. We've become so hyper. We've become, you know, people with three three cell phones at once. Yeah, but they if can't it, get if, any if peace. There's no very time to think. If it is a problem, though, Gil, it's a philosophical and sociological problem. It's not a business problem. I mean, it's a problem. Business it's, operates it's a, in that context. No, but it's a problem of individuals. I mean, if, it's if, not a problem if, at all. If he, does, if he doesn't want the technology, nobody's forcing him. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. Yeah. The, the people who want the technology want the technology. And if it's obsolete in six months, they've made a free decision to participate or not. But I think there's a process going on here where, where there's a uh, an idea out there that we have to hurry, we have to rush, we have to uh, don't miss that uh, business opportunity. You don't. It's, it's, you only have to do that it's a if you want to make and it's money. not good for people. And it's and, and and we saw it with the with the CEOs becoming Well, then corrupt. you should have no complaint about all these CEOs having all this money because they're in this horrible world that you're talking about that's not good for them, it's not natural. So why are you worried about them? We sh maybe we should pay them more. We had an interesting guest on yesterday. I don't know if you guys heard him. Tim Kasser, who's a, a professor in the United States and wrote this very interesting book about the called the, price, the high price materialism, in which he uh, it's based on it's it's not a philosophical treatise. It's a scientific uh, analysis of happiness and uh, relative to your uh, economic position and so mm -hmm. on. And uh, his contention is based on the surveys and all the stuff that he did. And then the book is very well annotated and appears to be very well researched. Although you don't know unless you check every reference, but certainly appears to be in his bona fides are pretty good. Uh, and his he says that. The, the studies that the Americans have been doing for a number of years, and Europeans as well, have now proven conclusively beyond any shadow of a doubt that people who push the materialist envelope tend to be less happy than people who don't. Yeah, and I think... But you know what I else he said? I listened right. to that interview, and he just blew the whole thing with one statement. So. He said, we could have a society where instead of the standard of success being how much you gain materialistically, yeah. it could be how much you give away and give to other people. And yeah. I'm asking myself, well, where do you get the stuff to give away? You're still stuck with this with the standard of materialism. No, 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 no you're, you're giving you it give away. Your time. You can give your time. Well, you can give your time. Well, I think you can give your money too, because at no point, at no point, you have to give no it away. Point, you got to make it. First. At no point did he say you couldn't make it first. All he said, no, he didn't say. You, no, all he said was, we could live in that society where the, your ultimate success will be judged by that, whereby you might spend most of your life accumulating a, a, a fortune. Public and that, service. And, and, that, and yeah. that would be fine. Okay, made a lot of money, big deal. But the real heroes in the society would be the people who then gave it away, or oh, the people. I, I think we've had charitable people throughout society big ones, you know, like all through, and they haven't been the big heroes because of that. But I think the big heroes because of what they accomplished that allowed them to do that. It's more than charity. It's the concept of public service. The Kennedys had that idea. I mean, careful now. No, but the Kennedys came from a wealthy family in New England. What business isn't a public service? Name me a business that's not a public service. They donated their time and energy, and they still do, the younger Kennedys, for public causes that they don't make any money on. Yeah, but they don't, because they don't need the money. Yeah. They don't need to make any money. Skills, they've yeah, got they skills, they, and they help out collectively. Uh, that instead of argument I don't buy because they don't need the money. They never needed a dime after old Joe yeah. stole as much as he did. But it's they a never question needed of, another dime. of time. Okay, their time. They give their time. It is a question of time, and we're out of time, <laughs> gentlemen. Thank you so much. This was very thank lively you. today. Enjoyed it very thank much. Bill. Thanks to Go Warren and Bob Metz for coming by this morning. Always a treat. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. Our left, right, and center segment that you just uh, uh, heard on 1290 CJBK, Gil Warren and Bob Metz discussing uh, Alan Greenspan's comments yesterday and some of the things that grow out of them about this this infectious greed, and it's part of a larger picture in the United States, and and as I said before, certainly will be in Canada because as they go economically, so go we Canucks. Um, this idea that. There needs to be more intervention, more regulation, more control over business. 
uh, in order to prevent the spread of this infectious greed that has led uh, to the uh, collapse of Enron and uh, uh, you know the other major scandals that are, that are happening right now and have happened over the last few years. Although those kinds of scandals have always happened from time to time, perhaps not to the extent that uh, that we've seen lately and uh, as publicly as lately. And there are people, and you heard Mr. Warren, one of them, who sort of believes that that you know we need to be take a very hard line on on business, on profits, on uh, on uh, executive salaries, on all of these things, and that we probably need to hang on a little tighter to these folks uh, and other people like Mr. Metz, who are entirely on the other side of the field, saying no, we should just you know, take as long as nobody breaks any laws, and that's the key thing from Bob's perspective. As long as the laws are obeyed and the laws are in place and the laws are enforced, that's all we need to do. Well, it is quite a battle in in, in the states, a battle developing between those two points of view and the points of view in the middle, um, as to just you know what is the appropriate thing to do? Is it is it necessary to to restrict business more, to to force business to conform within tighter lines and say, you know, this is what you must do, or or would uh, is the public better served by simply enforcing the existing laws? Dr. Ankar Gatte is a fellow at the uh, Ayn Rand Institute in uh, Irvine, California. He joins us on the telephone. Good morning, sir. It's nice to have you back again. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, I, I guess th- this particular issue is sort of right up your alley, and I know that you have a lot of concerns about uh, any kind of increase in, in, in government intervention or government regulation. But how do you respond to, to people, and they seem to be people pretty high, pretty close to the top these days in your country, who are saying, yeah, well, you know, we'd like to do something else or, or not do anything, but we've got to do something. We've got to put an end to this, and the way to do it is to slap more regulations on them. Um, well, I think what they're doing, essentially, is making a scapegoat out of the, the businessmen um, because the public is, is concerned, and especially with the falling stock market, which, incidentally, I don't think result of these scandals. I mean, it was falling for long before um, Enron or WorldCom came out, and one or two companies is not going to affect the whole market. But they're making a scapegoat out of the businessmen, precisely because they're seen as suspects. They're seen, in effect, as guilty no matter what actions they've taken. They're, they're viewed, as, as, as Greenspan put it, as greedy. Um, and that greed has to be reined in, and the way to rein it in is to put more regulations on businessmen, to more carefully direct and dictate what actions they can take. But that, I think, is, is, a, is an unjust reaction to what's going on, that some businessmen, uh, people running Enron, and it appears at WorldCom as well, that they were engaged in fraud does not give you the right to then violate every businessman's property rights and say, look, this is how you're going to run your business. This is what your audit committees are going to look like. This is all the auditing rules you have to follow, um, and so on. It would be, I think it's helpful to take an analogy or or a situation outside of business to see how unjust So take something... With, with the media. If you remember a couple weeks ago, there was that uh, trial here in California with Jennifer Aniston, mm-hmm. um, with a, a, a reporter climbing an eight-foot wall and taking photographs of her. Yeah. Uh, now that is a, 
I think most people would agree, is immoral conduct on the reporter's part, if not actually criminal, a violation of her, of her property rights, of climbing over a wall erected precisely to keep people out. Um, now, would you then impose regulations on all media, say, have government uh, uh, representatives in the newspaper rooms and, and the television stations who pre-approve every story because some reporter might uh, engage in immoral, fraudulent, or, or conduct that violates someone's rights. So you impose regulations on every reporter, whether or not they're on. I mean, that would be ridiculous, but, but it would also be unjust. But it's sorry, but the, the, you know that that's sort of the situation that exists now, though. We we do have restrictions on us, and that individual stepped over the line. I mean, it's it's not as though all the people in the media, all the reporters have this, this uh, you know, I internal moral compass that nobody ever uh, deviates from. I mean, we have very specific laws and regulations about what we can and cannot do and say and report on. But the point is that you go after the person after he violates those restrictions. You don't go after him before. Or you go, if, it, if it's a proper law, as, as I think there would be a law preventing someone from killing someone a house wall and taking photographs. Um, you go after the person after he commits the act, not because he might commit the act. But yet that's what they're doing with the businessmen now. They want to regulate every company and all the accounting standards because someone might try to cook the books. But you go after the people who are cooking the books, not the people who aren't. So, it, relative to the to the regulations that are in place now. The laws that are in place now, and there are specific laws against cooking the books, against oh, uh, you know fraud and all these sorts of things. The is the problem then that we we when I say we, I'm talking about North America, what Canada, the United States, uh, is the problem that we have not uh, devoted enough of our resources to the enforcement of those particular laws. Um, uh, that is perhaps true. I, I, I think actually a lot of resources have been um, devoted to this. And I think it's actually it's a very difficult um, crime, in, in the case where there is actual fraud, to detect. And you'll see, even in these cases, it was not it was not the regulators who discovered that something was amiss at Enron or at WorldCom. It was internal private regulators. In, in WorldCom's case, it was the actual company that came out and said, "Look, something was going wrong here at our company." Um, we've misstated our expenses, how we account for them, mm -hmm. and we're correcting it. Mm -hmm. And we're going. To, some people resigned, some people were fired, um, and that's the good. The, <clears throat> there is that self-policing in the business world because no one wants to invest in an Enron or in a WorldCom. I mean, a lot of investors, but a lot of big money, pension funds, mutual funds, so on, lost money in those two companies. And so they're on the lookout for companies like that that might be there's something funny going on in their books and, and so on. Um, so that, I think, is actually the best protection. And when you get government regulations, it kind of takes the incentive out for people to be on their guard and to be sharp and to be looking at balance statements and so on. Because they think, well, if the government certified this as being above board, why do I have to go and look in detail at what's going on? And you have, a, in, in, in the last few years, you've had a lot of investors, especially individual investors, who don't actually know very much about business. They can't probably read a balance sheet or a cash flow statement. 
and yet they were investing tons of money in it. And the premise is, well, the government certifies this and so on, so it has to be above board. And so regulations also have that pernicious effect. If we uh, now, are you are you suggesting would you promote reducing the number of regulations we have in place now? Uh, I would yes. Uh, in not the laws against fraud and breach of contract and, and those kind of things, but the the, the, the laws about the, much of the SEC, for instance, mm-hmm. and the, the account, accounting standards um, that the government issues. Accounting is not just some very easy kind of mechanical process that you can write a set of ten rules for and issue them and every company can follow them. Accounting is, is an art to, of, of how exactly to account for all the different types of expenses and so on, uh, investments and so on a company goes in to assess its profitability over the long run. And that's why you have people who go to school for a long period of time to study accounting. And so they should have that leeway um, and that, that room for judgment that regulations don't allow. Dr. Gattier, we appreciate talking with you. It's always a pleasure, sir, and look forward to doing it again soon. Great. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. It's Dr. Ankar Gatte with the uh, uh, Ayn Rand Institute. Uh, very interesting organization, are they? Very interesting. I don't always agree with their folks, but it's always fun to talk. We've got a number of good people there. A number of good people.